wanna catch one I'ma walk home by the Anzac Bridge I know my hay seems so fantastic You gotta wonder if it's all it really is I'm going to do a special guest entrance. This is yes. uh, Stefan's still here, but he's letting me do the read-in because uh, I got to chose the music again this week. It's uh, the, your intro music. There was "Said and Done" by Jackie Onassis. Uh, really nice uh, voice, uh, Australian guy, if I'm not mistaken. Anyhow, uh, now that I've introduced the song, Stefan, please introduce the topic. Yes, uh, right. So we actually this actually came out of from our attempts to film or record last week's podcast, which was a it was an experience to say the least multiple times that we were recording and things stopped recording and so basically there's about 25 minutes of Dave and I talking about random good things that eventually we'll include in some podcast mm. and then eight minutes of Dave and I trying to talk about things and failing uh, which all of it got scrapped over for the fantastic podcast that Maya helped us out with so if you haven't listened to last week's podcast I really encourage you to it's very interesting and I learned a lot which is good for me because I think the more well, if I learn out of podcasts then probably other people are learning too so I think it's good uh, but today's topic actually came out of the sort of con- other conversation we're having which is really the sort of there are a lot of ter- Tertiary benefits. Tertiary benefits? Tertiary. 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 Benefits for environmental action. There's a lot of things that sort of happen to also be good about doing green things. And we just want to sort of talk about that and sort of the different benefits that 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 cause and sort of ways that affects our lives, ways that affects your life. And just like, you know, it comes down to that, you know, that old comic that everyone who's in the environment who has ever been has seen, which is that sort of guy at a conference who's looking up at a screen and being like, cleaner cities, you know, better la- better lives. And, well, and he stands up, what if climate change is a hoax and we make a better world for nothing? So we're playing off that today. So, Kevin, you actually, Kevin Farmer's here. We didn't even mention Kevin Farmer. He's also in, he's in the studio. And we hope to be getting Stu from 350.org at some point as well. So we have a whole whole packed house today. The, the door is just going to be open. We're just going to be letting random people. Yeah. Let's not do that. I'm joking. No, yes, yeah, true. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> but if you are listening to this podcast and you do want to be on the podcast, we'll probably say yes. The same yeah. email. We're, yeah. we're open. We have an open door policy. We will screen you before you get in, but we have an open door policy. Yeah, no, I, th- I think the thing is... Uh, What we can probably say was that uh, if we can make it happen, we will probably let just about anyone be on the podcast. Mm -hmm. We just reserve the right not to air it. Ah, nice. How about that? There we go. There you go. But uh, but not because we disagree with you, because uh, I actually really like dissent. It's just because, you know, it helps us keep away people that aren't highly based on fact. Yes. Or reality. Yes. Or a variety of other issues. All the things. Anyways. I want to first get. I want to give Kevin the first shot at this, and if if that is, if you are ready for it, or I can, you know, ramble for another little while. No, sure, let's hear it. <laughs> all right. Uh, no, yeah. So, does tertiary benefits of 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 being environmentally friendly? Uh, any thoughts on that at all? Uh, probably. Uh, I, I, <laughs> when I when I think about environmentalism at all, I tend to get lost in sort of the big picture. Uh, I've been focused on kind of the. The, the macroscopic or macro whatever impacts of climate change for mm. a really long time. To be fair, on the show, usually I'm the one who's had my head up in the sky and then kind of your your job on the show is to bring us back to reality, which is usually not good stuff. Um, so we're kind of asking you to, to sort of not be in your usual seat today. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, uh, if you take the point of view that um, that human activities are in fact firmly embedded in an environmental reality, um, then it's impossible to ignore the, re, you know, the, the follow on reality that, you know, environmental in, in, in pursuing kind of an environmentally conscious lifestyle is, is ultimately beneficial. Um, in the sense that, in the sense that, you know, without a functioning environment, without things like a functioning biosphere or like a vital, vibrant, um, diverse biosphere and without, um, you know, a stable climate and without, you know, a lot of things, these other, these other sort of environmental underpinnings to our, our economics and our health, our basic human health. 
um, you, you, you know, these, it, these being environmentalist is, is, is good for you in, in, in the sense that you can't really, it's hard to imagine being healthy or employed <laughs> or really doing any of the things that we take for granted on, on a, a planet that's, you know, suffering or perhaps dying from, from the impacts of human activity. So, you know, from a macro, you know, from a, maybe a micro, uh, point of view, you know, little things like vegetarianism, I would say, <laughs> you know, the, it's hard to, it's hard to not be seduced by vegetarianism as you <laughs> learn more and more about the environmental impacts of. Interesting choice of words, of course, specifically because there's been a bunch of stuff, uh, recently, uh, just about, uh, how vegans and vegetarians are generally better in bed and stuff. I think that's actually just viral marketing on behalf of the mm. thing, but it's, yeah. apparently I've been told that's really? true. Yes, yeah, not I, personal research, but I've seen actual, uh, uh, apparently actual studies talking about that. Yeah, I've read that too. I would say, as someone who's spent a lot of time researching human nutrition, um, humans can unquestionably thrive on really diverse diets, and we have throughout history. And, and in some cases, certain populations of humans have not fared very well based on uh, the available uh, nutritional resources that they had. Um, you know, their, our diets always ha- haven't always been good for our teeth, for instance. And, and, uh, um, you know, but we're, we're omnivore or we have succeeded as omnivores. Um, but there's, but there's, uh, and, and to say that meat is bad is to, oh, just to gloss over the fact that, you know, all meat is not equal in the sense that, you know, it's not all meat doesn't have to be full of antibiotics and hormones and, and, um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, grain fed and, and it doesn't have to be uh, factory farmed under like horrifying conditions. Um, you know, if, if your concerns are ethical or, or regarding animal rights, but, um, but, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of health benefits to, to, you know, increasing your, your fruits and vegetables and whatnot. And, and it's, and it's hard, it's hard to not, it's hard to, it, I mean, you can easily make the case that, you know, toning down your meat consumption is, is a good choice environmentally. So, uh, you know, there might be, that might be in, um, a, one of the tertiary. <laughs> I was, I was going to say that would actually, I'd go further and say that's probably the easiest of any of the cases against meat to make. Not, not necessarily that, that that's sort of the best one or should be the most important one, but I think it's the easiest one to make because you don't need to get into sort of morals or personal values. It's simply demonstrably true. That it's massive amounts of water and massive amounts of resources for very little relative nutrition comes through our current meat system. And before before we go <clears throat> before we go any further, I just want to uh, welcome Stu, who is now here. Stu, are you here? Yeah, hi there. Hi, thanks for, the, thanks for joining the uh, the program. Sorry, we didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to leave you just listening to us for too long. Um, <laughs> and also, it gives us a chance to t- for the tech to actually figure out if your voice is loud enough. So, if you want to give us any thoughts on the tertiary benefits right now, so we can figure out how you're how loud you can be, go for it. On uh, eating vegetarian with, uh, I mean, it's just in just in general, yeah. Anything you want, anyone, yeah. Any any environmental issue that has other benefits. Oh, well, there's so many. Um, I mean, one of the things is just being around in, um, like, being aware of your environment. You get it, you you want to go and spend time in it, and so you go outside. And I mean, there's demonstrate uh, dem- demonstrated benefits to going outside and. Just being around trees and being in sort of in a green environment, um, and when you do that, you get more connected, um, not only to your environment, to yourself as well, and to your body. Um, and so you are able to connect, I think, more deeply with your body. I've certainly found that myself, um, which I don't know gives me a greater understanding of my sort of experience in the world, and then expanding that out into the um, countryside around you. 
And I mean, it's, it's hard in the city, but even just going for walks in parks um, is one of those things. Really bright, brighten up all day, or um, make lighten your mood when you're um, having a tough day. Just go for a walk in the park and enjoy some green space. Mm. I, 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 yeah, I completely agree. I think it's also, I think that's part of the reason why I, um, I like. I like running so much and, and not only running, but sort of just being like often, you know, when you're in the city, you are at least, at least I'm given the opportunity. Usually I can get around by bike or by, by walking. And often it's sort of, I often find myself like if I've had, if it's like later in the day and I'm sort of like not, I'm, you know, I'm just not feeling it. It's like, what's wrong? It's like, oh, I've never been outside today. You know, that's like, it's, it's like for me, it's not even has this like, you know, obviously green space is better, but just being outside in just the air is just going to do so much. It's, you know, especially like this is an odd thing, but I found that cold air is by far the best hangover cure I've found mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> you're walking outside when it's very cold, you're like your body snaps up. It's like, oh wow, all right, I have to deal with this now. Mm. And it's like, man, does that wake you up in a way that nothing else does? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a level up from simply splashing cold water on your face is to mm. go stand outside <laughs> without a jacket for thirty seconds. Yeah, uh, if nothing else, I I, I want to just start add on to that point too, which is one of the things that. Uh, that I've sort of I've mentioned before in a sort of one of my my pet facts that I like to trot out in at certain occasions, which is it just just the simple observation about I mean yes I should preface this by saying I do understand because I've been called on it in this way I'd be like hey you know you can't uh, you know ask everybody to to give up their cars that's not possible mm-hmm. but I understand that but I just think it's an it's an interesting thing to think about about how many people spend how much money on their cars how much money on their gasoline. You know, obviously the primary things are all our concerns about where that gasoline comes from and all those resources, but we're talking about tertiary stuff. So here's another fun thing to think about. I mean, how much money do you spend on your insurance and your car and your gas and then also pay for a gym membership? Mm. I don't have a car and I walk everywhere. Now, again, that's where the part where I'm like, okay, I understand everybody can't do that, but (laughs) I have people ask me like, oh, you know, not to say because I'm super buff or something, but because, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat in shape in shape. I'm not out of shape, I should say. Mm-hmm. As like, oh, and just as a thing of conversation, oh, where do you go? What gym do you use? And like, I just walk everywhere. I walk probably 100K a week. I don't, I've never needed to go to a gym in my life. I don't need to. Yeah, there's actually, I've read studies comparing um, urban and suburban uh, populations with regards and it, and it, suburban populations ha- are more obese and have um, worse health outcomes regarding heart health. Uh, and it's attributed to the fact that in, in an urban environment, you just simply walk more. You're mm-hmm. not, you don't, I mean, in suburban areas, like if you look at kind of the really nasty sprawl that surrounds Toronto for miles and miles mm-hmm. and miles in every direction, um, you know, you, you look at some of the places where you simply can't go anywhere. Like if you, if you, I don't know if you need milk or whatever, you, you get in your car to go get it. Um, because there's, there's no realistic alternative. And even if you are a bicyclist, um, you're likely to get mowed down on some of these, on some of these, you know, six lane roadways that are just, you know, um, commonplace now. I mean, that, you know, worked out in Markham for uh, over a year. And I think every road there is six lanes across, three lanes in each direction. And it's just, I mean, it's just, it just, I don't know how much area is paved over there. But anyway, uh, you know, there's the car, sprawl is just so car dependent. It's so car centric. You just can't function, it seems, without a car. The bus stops are, you know, hugely separated from each other. Um, I was lucky that there was a bus stop close to my job because the distance between bus stops is outrageous. And, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to get somewhere between bus stops, you know, you'd, 
just, you know, it'd be so time consuming. Like I can see the serious um, disincentives for people to, to, to use public transit or alternative transit. But anyway, there is, there is, there is um, scientific evidence backing up your claim that, you know, I was going to, I was going to add that my friend was in Barry for school for a few years and the looks on people's faces when you're walking around Barry, cause like he lived like Mm -hmm. a couple of miles from the downtown, which is like four blocks. Anyway, uh, we're not going to pick on Barry. Mm -hmm. Um, but like people looked at us like we were insane. Like four or five people walking down because we're going down to go to the bar, but it's like 35 blocks and people literally would drive past us like wonder, wondering if we were like breaking into houses or something. Like they literally that looked was, at us like we were insane or we were clearly up to trouble. I've heard that a ton about LA is that in LA, if you're walking, cops will pull up beside you and be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, and that, like that's actually like because nobody walks in LA. Mm-hmm. When you, to go back to what you said about what do you spend on cars, if you look at what we do spend on cars, um, you know, sort of nationally or even globally, uh, and when you, when you look at the phenomenal, you know, multi, multi billion dollar infrastructure in terms of roads, uh, emergency vehicles, um, you know, police patrols, you know, the, 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 go, the infrastructure that supports cars, like cars, when you get down to it, I mean, they were revel, socially revolutionary when they, came out and they got romanticized, but they're essentially a single consumer product. And we, and they are supported, um, publicly by just billions upon billions of dollars of, of infrastructure that's ultimately derived from, uh, in, from petroleum products when you think of like asphalt. And I, I, I don't, I can't state this as a fact, but I often suspected that if you just simply took the money out of cars and out of the phenomenal infrastructure that supports them, you could have the Cadillac of transit systems in every urban center and high speed rail between those centers. Um, you know, you could be serving free like caviar. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's insane just because of the pure thing. Go ahead, Stu. Uh, the, in, uh, the GTA, for every, uh, dollar that we spend on alternative modes of transportation, we spend $7 on the car. Mm-hmm. So all, all of bike and train and walkways and all of that. It's just a seventh of what we spend on the car, and, and just in terms of what we, how we spend our taxpayer money on. I mean, it's, it's basically subsidizing this. Yeah, you're right. This one consumer product. Yeah, and actually, I can I can add an, a corollary uh, fact to that from my uh, um, days doing uh, urban studies here at U of T as well was that almost half of your average public space is actually roads. Like mm-hmm. you don't think about it because you think, oh, there's houses and here's a road connecting it. But in the in the in a city like Toronto, almost half of the public space is roadway. Yeah. Like that's an, it's insane. How many parks is that? Like it, it, parks is like 2%. Oh, Toronto, Almost 50% is Congress is, is road. It's yeah, Toronto, crazy. Toronto is, it, you couldn't, do, you couldn't design a more car centric city than Toronto. It's, I mean, it's laid out in relentless grid work all for the, the sake of, of making it navigable by car. And I mean, we've trimmed down sidewalks to the point where if you were to go, if you're, if you go anywhere in this city walking side by side with a friend, you're blocking the sidewalk, mm-hmm. which is, which is kind of an affront to society when you get down to it. I mean, you, you can't walk through the city in the company of one single friend walking side by side anywhere in the city, um, without you know, people trying to get around you, you're, you're, you're blocking traffic. And, and if anything, you know, those sidewalks get, and you know, when you, what you say, you know, look at a map of the city, what's in the middle of central, uh, not central park, uh, high park, um, a parking lot, <laughs> you know, even, even, you know, one of the most well-known green spaces we have in the city, uh, which might even qualify as a patch of nature in the sense that it's got some biodiversity. It's not just a relentless monoculture of grass and some selected trees. 
um, I mean, it's it's accessible by car when you get mm-hmm. down to it. You know, it 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 you you can drive into it. So I, want, I actually I want to throw it back to to you, Stu, on on this point, which is well, which is the whole thing about this the city landscape and and you know going back to my uh, education around like urban planning and uh, people like th- urban thinkers and the senses of community and that sort of stuff uh, was just to bring it back to that sense of community. Obviously, we were hanging out with you last night at a at a social event uh, around uh, your uh, organization, Three Fifty Toronto. Um, and, but one of the things I was thinking about with that, that I wanted to get specifically your comments on, and then we should, we haven't heard much from Stefan, I'll let mm. Stefan talk as well. Um, but was just around that thing about, like I was musing the other day about how environment, the environmentalists aren't sort of super great in general about sort of community. And that's something that, that we think about a lot. Um, but, but that I would exclude yourself, uh, in that thing. I think that's something that's, that's very much important to you. And I think that's one of the things that gets, is sort of a side benefit of, in Canada, the environmentalists are sort of forced into bed, if you will, uh, with a lot of First Nations, because, mm. simply because of the nature of environment things. And First Nations have an incredibly rich social, or at least haven't lost their, haven't, incre- haven't in, somewhat intentionally discarded their sort of cultural, uh, their focus on the cultural storytelling and that as a, as a something that ties communities together. And, and I was just sort of thinking about the, was the idea was that, you know, regardless of what your sort of spiritual or philosophical sort of beliefs might be, um, that by sort of, th- Focusing on community as its value unto itself, um, not only promotes sort of caring about your neighbors and caring about the environment that sustains you, but it, it actually promotes stronger communities. And I, and I just wanted to get specifically your comments on that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually been a huge benefit for me. I mean, I joined 350 when I wasn't highly involved in environmentalism or anything. Um, and I instantly found there was this, this group of people that were, you know, giving each other books and, you know, being a community and just talking and hanging out and that just became so attractive that I was like I want to be a part of this and then since then it's it's grown but it's still kept I mean such a really strong community we have potlucks together all those kinds of things um and just the other week I was talking with um somebody I met and they were saying hey well um they'd read somewhere that you know climate change and it's going to be terrible and um shouldn't we just like live and enjoy life now um because, well, it's, it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, one of the responses is, well, it's not hopeless and we can do things about it. But the other response is, even if it was, this is the way I want to be living because I want to be building community and having great community and working towards good things and caring about my environment. So even if it was hopeless, I, this is how I'd still choose to live. Um, just because of the net benefits of all of this. Yeah, I mean, you get great friendships that are formed and, and people that look out for each other. Um, you know, if somebody's struggling or they're sick or something like that, we, we visit and we care about that kind of thing. And, um, mm. you know, and that's just so important. And I think that's, that's one of the strengths of Toronto 350 really, um, is that we have this, yeah, this group that are all together and watch out for each other. So it's a massive benefit. Mm. I, I want to add to that. I think there's, what I found so interesting about sort of the idea, you know, as the sharing economy is getting, is, is sort of getting some press with the tool library and the, and the kitchen library and the seed library is that it's sort of, it's funny to me because it's taking something that's happened forever in a, in a community sense. You know, the idea that like you, you go to your neighbor to ask a, a, for a bit of sugar and then they give you a bit of sugar. What I find so interesting about this idea of community of informing community and sort of the sustainability community is that the stronger your community is, the more sustainable it will be mm-hmm. because you don't have to go out and buy those individual goods. The more you share, the less you consume. And it's that simple, it's that simple thing. So I still thought you heard you say something, but I might have, might have missed you. 
Uh, no, I was no. just agreeing with you. I mean, I think we've been talking about transportation and we've, we've seen this popping up of, I mean, not only Bixie, but then auto share, zip cards, cars to go, um, all of that. Is, I mean, we're seeing just sort of this uh, sharing of tools again. Mm. Um, or okay. not again, but like with cars, it's like the first time, I guess, that we've been sharing this, but it's, it's a really exciting trend, I think, to be able to see. I mean, the car of the future will be shared. Mm. <laughs> One of their slogans, but I, it, it's really... Yeah, it, it's good, and, it, and now you're starting to, you're caring about something, not because it's yours and you should care about it, but just because it's uh, something you should care about and make sure you give that car back in good condition and um, in the same way that you give back tools in good condition. And, yeah, I mean, it, it, we're seeing some good trends. Mm. Sorry, sorry, uh, not, didn't mean to cut you off there, but I think I think Kevin was hoping to jump in. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, what you said reminded me of, of two things, actually. Um, one was... Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure pretty sure it was Stephen Sharper. Uh, I took a I took a course at U of T. I forget the name of the course. It was it was an interdisciplinary study of um, uh, ENV two hundred. I remember everybody well. has to take it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think it, everybody uh, on the sh- on the show today has taken that. Okay. It was two 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 actually when I took it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. It was years ago. It was uh, it was it was a study on environmental. S- it was an environmental studies course, not an environmental science course, and it was taught in four components, and one of them was. I'm pretty sure delivered by Stephen Sharper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about kind of ethics, religion, and morality regarding environmental issues. He told it, I'm pretty sure it was him. I, I could be wrong with this. My memories are, as they, as I get older, my memories tend to all morph into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, there was a story he told about, um, uh, development, some, some development workers in an African village and they wanted, and the women w- routinely every day they embarked on quite a, journey to go get water and these development workers were saying look we could you know build a, a pump and a pipeline and just pipe this stuff into the village and the the women just shot them down and said look we have all of these responsibilities as wives as mothers as uh, as you know and they they listed their social roles in the community and said this walk that we take every day is our chance essentially to be women with each other in the company of other women and we look forward to this. <laughs> we, this is this is a socially important thing that we do, and we don't want you piping that water <laughs> into our village. And it's it just that always stuck with me because there's this notion that all technological innovation is improvement and advancement, and and it isn't. And I and I'm an old guy. I've seen, I you know I I am painfully aware that each new generation gets born into its context. Tech context takes that context as self evident. And doesn't realize all the changes that have under, have, have undergone. So, you know, each, each new generation grows up in the environment that it grows up in and takes things like, you know, pollution and cancer and all these things as kind of re- real. And I've watched these things develop, you know, to, to, and become worse. You know, I, I was in high school when the first bottled water came out and we laughed our asses off. We thought bottled water was the <laughs> stupidest thing we had ever heard of. Still is, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. But we, I mean, we immediately noticed that Evian, which was the producer, was naive spelled backwards. And we just thought it was a joke. You know, I mean, I mean, this was, I mean, this was an era that produced pet rocks for God's sakes. You know, uh, you know, bottled, bottled water seemed to seem on a par with something like that. And now, you know, in the States, they throw, they actually throw out in, in plastic, in the worth, in the, in the value of plastic water bottles alone, they throw out billions of dollars of plastic, worth of plastic, I mean, they just throw, I mean, the, 
you know, sorry, it just like, I mean, I've seen that happen in my lifetime where it's gone from being, you know, this, 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 this thing, this, this ridiculous marketing concept to this kind of everyone just takes it for granted now. And now there's landfills and oceans full of plastic. And, uh, and anyway, you know, you realize that along the way, um, you know, all of these, these, these quote unquote improvements and advancements have, uh, have kind of irrevocably altered um, the, our social landscapes and, you know, things like what these women are talking about, like these sharing moments and these moments of community and, and whatnot. You know, I realize I'm making some disconnected comments here, but, but, uh, uh, you know, there's been so much change just in my life and I watch people just take it for granted that it's reality now. The one, the reality that they get born into is just self-evident. And, you know, it just, you know, we, we do lose a lot along the way with this unquestioned notion of technological advancement. Uh, sorry, I thought I heard you trying to chime in there, Stu. Uh, no, no. Sorry. Oh, really? Oh, there must be some sort of echo. I'm, I'm getting something on on here anyway. Um, it might have been my path, actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if he or she has anything to say, then uh, then that's appropriate <laughs> as well. Sure. Uh, everyone's willing. This is a sharing uh, space. Everyone's as we said, we're an open door. We're an open door. If the cat wants to give us comments, we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know how much, uh, how much longer we actually have. Probably about, uh, I think 10 minutes. Yeah, I was gonna say 10. Uh, probably around that. So, was there, was there anything sort of that anybody felt sort of hadn't been addressed? The thing that, the thing that I kind of came, uh, stock with was, was sort of my example of the, the driving and the, and the fitness thing. Mm. Uh, and we sort of, we've touched on, uh, I guess we'll do a bit of a recap. You know, we've touched on generational change. We've talked on, uh, sharing economy as just something that's like socially beneficial. Um, I think that the idea that all technological advancement is not necessarily actual advancement in in an absolute sense is, is a really good point um, nature deficit disorder and and simply simply being in nature having green space to be in having access to it is something that is that is not sort of you know a, a nice philosophical concept but it's a demonstrable scientific truth uh, that this, this simply improves uh, health and I think I think my throwaway before I, I let it sort of just go back out there to whoever wants to jump in was that this is sort of one of the, this is sort of one of those those things where it's sort of it, it there are demonstrable angles to it but i mean there i think that a lot of env- i think a lot of environmental principles get dismissed um by the general public as thrown into this bag of sort of ideology and like oh well you just you prefer trees to humans you care more about nature than you do about other humans and be like, well, it's just, it's just not true. <laughs> it's just, it's just not true is that you can't, as, as, I guess that's my thing is that, you know, by caring about the things that sustain us, we're caring about ourselves. We're just doing a better job about it. Mm. Uh, it just, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Maybe, maybe someone else wants to chime in on, on their, where, on their thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, sorry. Go, okay, no, go, Stu, go. Okay. Um, I remember there was, um, Mitt Romney's, uh, uh, speech during his, candidacy um he was talking about uh, and it's a great the biggest applause of the speech was a line that said you know obama wants to heal the planet and save the world and i'm going to make uh things better for you and your family and that was his biggest applause and it was like as if that's a separate thing and you can only have one or the other and i think that's so often set up that you either love trees or you love humans no you can love humans and love trees and like you it, it's not that you love trees more, it's that you, you also love trees, and that's okay to actually love both, and you don't have to separate and say, I only love one or the other. Mm. Well, and even to add to that is that trees allow us to breathe, so it's not even, you know, you can do both, you kind of you kind of have to do both. <laughs> it was it was the original George Bush, George Bush Sr., who, two things come to mind that you just reminded me of. At the original uh, UN conference on climate change, 
um, the Rio talks, uh, it, Bush Sr. declared that the American lifestyle was not up for negotiation. And this was, <laughs> this was like real jingoism for the home audience. Um, but also, I'll never forget during his campaign, he responded to a question where he affirmed his credentials as an environmentalist by saying, you know, I'm an outdoorsman. I'm a hunter. I get it. <laughs> I just thought, well, if that's your impression of environmentalism, that you're an outdoorsman. I mean, I go to parks, <laughs> you know, it just the, like you say, this phenomenal disconnect and this, you know, like this, yeah, this just this enormous disconnect between, uh, Human health and economic health and environmental health is just mind-boggling. Well, I think I think you can actually bring uh, at least at least that comment back to um, to what you're saying earlier. You really are a product of what you grow up in, and when I'm sure when he was growing up, being a conservationist, being a hunter, was the closest thing to environmentalists that existed. That's a good point, actually. Uh, from the point of view of American history, uh, conservation might. Has has roots with hunting, hmm. uh, and people. Some of the some of the original alarm bells came from hunters worried mm-hmm. about the, the the sustainability of livestock. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's a very good point, uh, actually. But I would I would say within a metaphor that it, like that's true. I was actually I was I was thinking the same thing. I remember that from my classes. But that's kind of like make a video game reference that maybe two percent of people will get. Is that that's kind of saying you're a video game enthusiast because you still have an original Nintendo? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the dialogue from then to now, the the the, the context from then till now has mm-hmm. changed dramatically without yeah. a doubt um, and if you just don't keep up with it how can you say you're that <laughs> yeah i've had an experience that i'm sure no one in this conversation has had and that's what you know i grew up in a different era and i grew up in a small town and as children as like really young children we just left home and went to play in the woods it it was a it was a two block walk to my best friend's house and from his house it was a one block walk over a hill across the train tracks and into the woods <laughs> and we i mean as kids it, we just went and played there i mean you you couldn't conceivably raise your children that way nowadays i mean my parents would be hauled away and put in jail in today's world but we just ran off and played in the woods mm-hmm. and we did it for hours and we had adventure after adventure in this kind of and i'm quite convinced that um that those experiences shaped me with regards to my notion of preserving nature. You, you, and nature almost certainly informed human spirituality for hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, you know, I'm going to go home and watch Stand By Me now, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, when you talk about like things like nature deficit disorder and these kind of fancy terms for the fact that our psychology has suffered and even, you know, we don't produce as much serotonin in an urban setting as we do in a natural one. Um, you know, I would point out that, uh, even the fact that we don't stay awake during the day and fall asleep at night uh, has been shown to increase cancer rates by the fact that light pollution at night depresses mel- melatonin production and melatonin is a cancer, is a tumor suppressant. And uh, and it's also probably important for other uh, mental health. Melatonin probably plays a role in other, <clears throat> excuse me, functions of mental health. You know, when you just think that we don't, you know, light, you know, that lights at night, like just this notion of how thoroughly we've divorced ourselves from kind of this natural setting that we evolved in for, I don't know how long, but, but, uh, but, you know, it's funny, you know, I think that experience that I had was so normal to me. And, you know, now, <laughs> seriously, your parents would be arrested. <laughs> I don't, I, I was going to say that we, my friends played in a quarry a little bit. We had a quarry that was a little ways away and we went there, but again, this was a, it was a quarry. So there was a lot of rocks and it was less nature and more of a sort of a, a little oasis. Um, and then we were a little older than probably you were at the time. I would, but I want to get back to at least one other thing that we haven't touched on, which is uh, of benefits of being environmentally friendly, which is 
I think in a, this is more society based, but I think in a society that really embraces environmentals and really embraces sustainability, there are better jobs. Mm. And this isn't to say that there's, I think there's, I want to clarify that without saying that, you know, there aren't good jobs now or whatever. But I think one of the most interesting things that I didn't actually get to mention on the radio show, which I'm going to mention now about being at the Canadian Granite Growers Conference was that one question to these people was, how do you keep your prices the same? Basically, it was these guys who did a lot of sustainable beauty products and the other person did, made a hose. He made a, a very lightweight hose that didn't leak chemicals into your, into your, into your water. So you could drink the water from your hose. And so the two different people just made cool little products that were chemically free. And the person's question is like, how, like, people always ask me, I can explain them the benefits, but then they're saying, but I see they're the same price. Wouldn't, if it has all those benefits and they're doing all these extra things, shouldn't that cost more? What's going on here? Mm. And their answer was, we, our margins are lower. We just make less money. That's it. And, and it was sort of like, that makes so much sense. And not only does that make so much sense, it leaves the market open for so many more people doing that kind of thing. You know, everyone, everyone bemoans the law, the death of American agriculture and all these, at least American farmers, mm. industrial agriculture is producing food at its highest levels ever. But individual farmers are decreasing. The number of individual farmers are, are, are on decrease. And it was so interesting when, I, when we had that comment from the Peterson uh, Farmers about our, on our video was that they were sort of like, well, young people don't want to be farmers. They don't want to do it. And how can you say that factory farming like pushed people out uh, of, of individual farms when people just needed to start doing – whereas instead families needed to actually start doing factory farming as a way to see, keep making enough money to support a family? And I was like – Exactly. Like, that's what economics does. Like, the factory farming inherently pushed individual farmers out of the market because they lowered the price for the cattle, which then forced the families to then get more cattle to make the same prices. Mm. And I I feel like if we just accepted the idea that lower margins were okay, that would increase the marketplace for all these sort of jobs that are actually like, you know, I'm sure there's tons of people out there who'd rather be a farmer making enough money to live off of than, you know, working a stupid like manufacturing job. I, I have a slight add on to that point, And then uh, just because we're running low on time, I'll, I'll preface this by Stu. You'll get your uh, closing comments in about 90 seconds, um, which was just to say, uh, yeah, it was one of the things that sort of we've been talking to Lawrence from the tool library a lot and, mm. and dealing with people with the sharing economy. It's something I'm very, very, very interested in. Of course, uh, Jacob uh, Kareli Moreland, who was on the show recently, who we got tons of mail, people saying that they loved him. Apparently everybody loves that guy. It wasn't just <laughs> us. Um, and, but one of the things that I like doing about that is because like people will say, because I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about sort of alternate economy and resource-based economy and all sorts of these alternate models by that could be more sustainable because the current one just doesn't, it just can't be, it's not designed to be able to take those things into account. Um, Is that, oh, well, you know, but you know, we need all that stuff because we have to grow the economy. It's like, what do you want people to be poor? I'm like, but, it's this fundamental concept that I, I've even gotten into like a bit of a, you know, disagreement, not disagreement, but like a, a conceptual discussion with other environmentalists about, but like, no, 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 that your measure of, of what you have should be your, your needs, right? Not like when we're talking about poor, we're talking about money. We're not, people don't say they're poor because they don't have enough eat. They're saying they're poor because they don't have a lot of money. So someone that has like their own garden and can sustain themselves would be classified as poor, but I wouldn't call them poor. Right. So if we reduce the need for money by exchanging things, then yeah, everyone might be below what's currently defined as the poverty line and 10 times happier and actually have more things that they need to sustain themselves. Because if you can grow your own food, now you don't need 
two, three, four, five hundred dollars a month, whatever you spend on your groceries. If you, you know, live in a shared community uh, area on whatever, I mean, not everybody can do everything, but like it, it reduces the need for money. Like it's just that thing. And I guess this is what the, the, the final, my, my final point would be was that money is just a way of exchanging stuff for stuff. We can do that without the money. And no, it's much more twisted than that. <laughs> it's much more twisted. But I mean, for yeah. the extent of my yeah. per, for the extent of my point, uh, it was simply was that people get obsessed with the with the thing we use as a placeholder for exchanging stuff, and that every single time you go through one of those exchanges, somebody that doesn't need to be involved gets involved, and the system doesn't collapse when you re- when you reduce the need for money. And that I, I just wanted that to sort of be my closing thought. Uh, and then I promise uh, Stu that you will go last, and then we'll get a final comment from Kevin as uh, as well. So, uh, Stu if you want to go ahead with any with your closing comments um i don't really have one i'm afraid of a lot of things but i, I mean I, I know talking about that money there's, there's always been this idea that you know that all people in africa are poor and yet they always had community and and subsistence farming and things like that okay they couldn't buy ipods so they didn't want to um and so there was this Thing that's, that's increased GDP for them, and, and that has destroyed an awful lot of communities. So I think, yeah, there's huge value in, in recognizing non-monetary ways of measuring. Sorry, that's really just a repeat of your point. We have brought something. Awesome. Uh, all right, so we'll go to Kevin, then I'll finish up. Oh sure. Uh, yeah. If um, yeah, there's this notion in our society that um, we we don't we have no measure for meaning in in life. We just have this crude estimate of GDP and, uh, and, you know, we can't, and, and, and so we measure wealth, like you say, Darren, in, in material terms of material goods. And we just, and it's ironic, but we just can't throw things out fast enough to be happy. And if, in, <laughs> if, uh, and in fact, the, the, the faster we throw things out, the more our economy hums and the, and, you know, of course, all we talk about in politics is the health of the growing economy. Like that's, you know, it's just bizarre I mean, it provides no meaning to our lives. It, it's just this this engine that draws up resources and converts them into pollution. Um, and the faster we do that, the healthier we think we are. And if if material objects were were you know the source of human happiness, we'd be building temples on landfills. You know, the, 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 every, every landfill would just. I mean, we would move to landfills because look at all this stuff in them. I mean, we God, we'd never be happier anywhere. Um, yeah, this is a thing that's been sort of on my mind a lot lately, and it's uh, and it's this whole notion of uh, you know measuring success and wealth and even happiness in terms of of these material goods that are ultimately they're just resources that linger briefly in our consumer space and then we throw them out where they become toxins in our environment, and it's this this bizarre this this bizarre thing that that's like the fundamental fundamental driver in politics and kind of the the thing people stress about the most is the health of the economy and it's got to always be growing and it's measured in terms of really how fast we turn resources into pollution and it's just this phenomenal it, it's this and you know when you when you say money like it's fueled by money this fiction called money and it's this this funny kind of strange i don't know like this 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 uh this uh contrivance that we have this kind of this fiction that we've we've developed to to explain our activities and it's something we it's something that i think we 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 need to have like honestly i'm not I'm not pulling this out of thin air i've been thinking about this for weeks we need to have like a global summit um to explore ideas for how to um you know conceptualize economies and commerce and trade 
in a in a in a sense that that isn't founded on this model of dredging up resources, turning them into pollution, and doing that at an ever increasing rate. I'll I'll finish this off. Uh, with there needs to be a fundamental shift, and and look at all these benefits that we just spent the entire forty five minutes or how long we're doing this explaining that all the ways our lives would be better uh, if we actually took a a reasonable look at at how we run things. You can find you know there's I'll use this as a final example. One of the most conservative people I know, uh, he's he was he voted for Rob Ford. Uh, he's <laughs> like the he's, definition of a conservative. exactly yeah. <laughs> Um, like he's, I, I, I just avoid all politics with him. Whether he's a, he's a, he's a family member, so you know, we just that's not what we talk about when we, when we meet up for Thanksgiving. But he is also the most avid biker I know. He is a he, like, and he lives in like the depths of Scarborough. Like he, it's the depths of Scarborough, and it's like, and he will bike for like half an hour for him, and he's got this massive light, and he will give cars shit if they cut him off. He is a biker. I was going to make a joke about an unfortunate instance, the instance between him and the person he voted for, but I don't want to like sort of accidentally will it to happen and then feel bad if it did. So mm. I'm not going to say it, but use yeah. your imagination. Yeah, but no, it, and it's so interesting, and it's just, it, it's just like. Like, here's someone who quite obviously, if he listened to me speak at all, he would be mad about everything I have to say, except for the fact that he realizes that biking does make his life better. He Mm. had a car, he got rid of it, and now he bikes. The world is a better place if you get out there. And that's it. Like, and if one person who can see that, I don't see why the world can't see that. And I don't really see why we need necessarily a spiritual shift beyond sort of an acceptance of really what actually can be done. Uh, I'm sure that's probably controversial for the 13 out of the 25 viewers, we, listeners we have on this podcast. So, if you get mad at me, please get mad at me. Uh, send me some, send, send, hey, send me some, or ask some to come on the show, or ask him on the show. Come on the, uh, come on the show for a debate. Yeah, no, that'll not we'll fight it out. Yeah. No, we'll probably agree, and I like you very much. Uh, but anyways, this has been the Beyond Green podcast. Darren, what's the song? And the the song again we're listening to. I think it actually was really perfect for where we ended up placing this, just to like in a in a really nice spot. Which is uh, said and done, Jackie Onassis. Awesome. Fantastic, you gotta wonder if it's all it really is Am I spaghetti in a western? When the clock strikes 12 and everybody grabs their weapons But your carriage been a pumpkin since 11 And the story never goes how you rest So golden boy is gone Replaced by some imposter Who knows how to sing along I gotta work yourself out Well man, I'm sorry but you're wrong Only to find the show's never coming out So I'ma be the one